With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hello and welcome. This is Denise Michaels here with Charles L. Whitby II, the dapper gentleman and author of Brown Skin, Green Money. Hi, Charles. Hi, Denise. <laughs> Today is uh, Friday, July the 31st. Can you believe it? Like, even the Christmas in July sales are over with. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, anyway, all right, so I'm going to close out of this chapter, Chapter 3, Seek Wealth, Not Money. We just went through uh, your changes on it. They're all made, and I will email it to you as soon as... Um, as soon as we're done with our meeting today. And somewhere I have your, I thought I had your outline. Is there a chapter in particular you're um, thinking about talking about? Um, Here we go. I'm going to your book outline. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. I, I think... Um. Your name means everything. It's probably a good, okay. a good, good. one to good. do. Your, your name means everything. So that's what we're going to talk about. That is Chapter 8 in Part 1 of the book. And Your Name Means Everything, which is about budgeting. And that's great. we got lots of lots of stuff to talk about. So what would you say are um, – we've got four sub-chapter headings here – um, pay your bills on time, make arrangements when you're unable to pay, everything that's due, um, that's kind of a subset of pay your bills on time. Uh, refrain from co-signing for the financially irresponsible um, and keep your debts low. So um, anyway, let's get started, okay? Okay. So what would you say is, um, Charles, sort of the overarching or the big rocks or something that um, people really need to know um, as they dig into this chapter about your name means everything. I mean, is this connected with FICO score or um, I think it, why does I why think, does your name mean everything? I think it deals with overall credibility. Um, when whether in the you know you're personally doing your bills or you're in business. It's very important to be timely with um, money for people. I, I think it, money is a very sensitive topic <laughs> for sure individuals, and you know you can you can offend people in a lot of different ways, and they forgive you. But when you offend people when it comes to you know financially, it's it's very difficult uh, for people to want to continue to do any, you know, business with you or provide any services for you. And then obviously that word gets around and you're, you know, nobody else wants to either. And so I think the understanding is we look at credit 
in in the consumer perspective, but if you go back to the old days before credit where everything was based upon a handshake and your word, um, you know, people people judge your character, you know, by how you deal with money. And money is definitely a reflection. Uh, how you deal with money is probably how you will deal with other things of value. Everything in life, really. Yeah. You know, it's credibility. I think the word integrity makes sense here, too. Absolutely. Right? Talk to me about integrity and what it means to you. And, you know, I'm sure you have a high FICO score and all that. Um, Tell me how that has helped you in business and in life to be that sort of dependable, solid high integrity, high credibility kind of guy? Well, it goes back to the principle that I learned in church that you do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. The golden rule. Right. When when I think about how I like my money to be handled, I I like people, if I give, if, you know, we agree that we're going to have some type of financial exchange you know, I would want that those terms to be upheld. And so I like to to practice that because I think it's 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 important to treat people as as though you want to be treated. Obviously you're not gonna be perfect. There'll be some times where you you know, you have situations that are out of your control or you just were, you know, for whatever reason negligent. But don't make that a common practice. You know, if that's something that you're seeing that becomes a problem, then, you know, it's important to kind of seek to to do a self-examination to see, hey, what what's going on with me? What's going on with you know, my principles that allow me to, to do these things? And then do a recalibration, you know. And every and everybody needs to recalibrate in some areas at some times. But it's important. So, Go ahead. So what you're saying is that if there's a likelihood when you're going to be late or whatever, that's the exception to the rule and not the rule. Exactly. Right. Now, I don't know if you've seen this before, but there's this commercial that's been on TV a lot the last couple months for, uh, it's a car insurance company. I think it's like Liberty Mutual or something. And there's this cute gal standing there, and she says, you pay your car bill, your car insurance every month on the dot. You're like the poster child for on-time payments. And then suddenly you tap the bumper of a station wagon. No big deal, but then they jack up the rates, right? And, I mean, I've, I've seen that commercial a few times before. And the last time I noticed, I saw it, I thought, you know what they're doing is they're putting out there that they want customers that are the kind of people who pay their bill every month on the dot. Right. I thought it's almost like they're calling out for that kind of pe- person. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. Right? So, so, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, anyway. I, I met, I had a conversation today with a banker and she had, this is a, this is very good material for the book as well. We were talking about the Community Reinvestment Act that banks have in terms of regulations where they're required to go into communities that 
um, are struggling financially and help them develop, you know, and basically lend to them in order to grow that community from an economical standpoint. But the challenge that they're finding is when they're, you know, seeking after those investment candidates, the investment candidates don't have the credit worthiness in order to to receive the lending uh, from a business aspect, and so they can't. They re, they're they're having trouble. They can't fulfill their goals. Yeah, exactly. So this is interesting. I don't know what the purpose of the meeting is here, but I'm seeing, and this is off our off our topic just a little bit, but I'm seeing a branded book that you could sell them a quantity of your book, Brown Skin, Green Money, you know, with like maybe their logo on it, you know, mm-hmm. like one printing specifically for them. Is it a big branch, big bank or a community bank? Or? It's a community bank. Okay. Okay. Well, it could be like a um, a giveaway thing for people who open new accounts and stuff or even if they go out into the community and talk with small business owners and stuff like that, you know? Right. I've I've done that before. I've sold, like, hundreds of books to, like, one corporation, and they put their logo on it. And um, it's a nice way to sell some books, you know? Right. I like it. Yeah, yeah. Just kind of put it in your uh, back pocket there. Okay, so let's get back on track here. Um, the first um, chapter, something you've talked about it a little bit um, already, but um, let's talk about paying your bill on, bills on time. And first thing is, um, you know, the importance of it. Um, but then the other thing is how do you or how does your reader um, sort of get themselves in the habit of, of doing that and sitting down and handling it and everything. Yeah, so again, it's, it's going into creating a budget, which we talk about in Chapter 1, I think, Chapter 2, Budgeting. So applying the principles from getting your learn on, create a budget that you know specifically when your bills are coming up and when you actually receive your income and being able to make sure that you're not trying to take money out of a check um, that's after your due date to pay money for the bill that's due at a specific time. So really look at what money you have coming in at what given period of time and making sure that you're paying that forward instead of trying to catch up. Okay. Um, A lot of people pay their bills online rather than write checks, Mm -hmm. you know. Do you have any thoughts or ideas on that? I mean, for me, I think the online bill pay stuff is, you know, is easier than writing checks. I think whenever possible, there should be automation involved. Okay. With that, with that automation, obviously you want to make sure that the money is there and that you know through, through your budget, you know what date that money is scheduled to come out so you don't even have to, you know, worry about um, putting something in the mail. Whenever possible, use automation. If you can, if there's a bill due date, 
Um, let's just say for your internet or your rent, if you have the opportunity or your mortgage, whatever, if you have the opportunity to set up where they automatically take the money out of your account, then that's probably going to be the best option to make sure that you don't miss or are late for payment. So so that's you're saying that's the best option so that you make sure you're not late. Um, it doesn't bode any differently on your credit score one way or another because you set up an automatic bill pay, right? Right, exactly. Right, okay. All right, so having the budget set up, how often should people sort of look through their budget and, you know, keep an eye on what bills are due on what dates and things of that nature? I mean, I would recommend once a week at the very least to to check to see what's coming up in the upcoming week. Just a touch point, make sure that you, you know, that you've told your money what to do and that your money is doing what you told it to do from the previous chapter that we talked about. I think it's important for people to, um, John Maxwell has a, has a, law in his 21 laws of leadership called the law of the scoreboard. And it says that when a team knows where it stands, it can make the proper adjustments to be successful. And if you continue to look at your budget as a scoreboard, you can see whether you're behind or you're winning or you're tied, I guess. Mm -hmm. And, and you can make the proper adjustments in the, in your spending or your saving in order to make sure that you're successful. So using that budget sheet as a scorecard um, is, is on a weekly basis, at the very least, is probably going to be effective in helping people pay their bills on time. Do you want to describe or define terms at all, like you know, being in the black or being in the red? Uh, you don't have to. I just popped into my brain. Yeah, I, I think I don't think so. Just because of the, this is not as much of a. I mean, obviously, we're encouraging some business endeavors, but it's not really a business book. It's more a personal finance. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. I was just thinking if they end up dealing with an accountant at some point in time for taxes and everything, it's like they have that language, you know, because they've learned it from you. So. Anyway, but it's not necessary at all. Okay. Oh, I guess that's a good point, though. I didn't consider that. I mean, it would be great for people to say, "Hey, I learned that in the book. I know that term." So I'm, I'm, I'm open to that. Okay. So your definition of being in the black would be ensuring that you have more money left over after your budget. After you've budgeted and spent according to that budget in in, in a month's time, right? So. And being in being in the red would be. I'm not going to put a lot of focus on this. Just maybe two sure. bullets, you know. Being in the red is uh, being having being bills, upside down bills <laughs> left over and and no money <laughs> left over, right? So it's like a danger signal being in the red, right. you know, right? Okay, all right, cool. So um, 
I think this is really important. I'm I'm really glad to see that you put it in here. Making arrangements when you're unable to pay a bill that's due on time. So talk about why that's important and how do they actually do it. Okay. So when you understand that there's something coming up and you know in advance, you should contact whoever you, you know, who you should be paying out as soon as you know. And the reason why is because a lot of people, if you let them know in advance, they'll have mercy. I mean, certain companies have, you know, what they call grace periods for payment. But if you let them know um, in advance that you're, you're having an issue, most organizations want their money one way or another, so they'll be very flexible. Well, some will be flexible to create, you know, an arrangement that will allow you to um, continue to have a healthy relationship with a a healthy financial relationship with them um, so they don't, you know, either evict, repossess, foreclose, or any other other bad terms that comes with um, not paying your bills on time. And right. when you do that, you know, they can put that on your – they can document that so anybody dealing with their account understands what the, the circumstances are. And, um, you know, it can keep you from having a, a damaged reputation with that company and with other companies. Right. Some people wouldn't do that because they just don't know that that's what they – should do. Other people wouldn't do it because they're afraid to place the call and talk to another human being and feel embarrassed or something like that. Right. And I would say to that, because I used to have that same fear, and uh, I can definitely relate with that. I'm very much a non-confrontational person, and and typically if you're a non-confrontational person, you don't like to have those kind of discussions. They make you uncomfortable. Um, But what you have to keep in mind is the person on the other end of the line most likely does not know you personally. They know nothing about, you know, it, it, most people fear embarrassment, but they, if your name is on the account, you're already, they already know about you. And, but they probably don't know you. So you calling them is not going to make you more visible or less visible than you already are to them because they know you owe them money. I think it's important for people to understand that making that phone call sometimes is frightening, but I've had experiences when we can talk specifically about when I had the student loan that I paid or the the government, it was a student loan through the government. Um, That wasn't a comfortable conversation, but when I got on the line with the person, they were very, they worked with me to determine, you know, ask me questions. Um, to help me understand how I could pay it off without putting myself in dire straits financially. So I think when you, you overcome that fear, you get it over with, it's it's a lot less um, impactful as you imagine it to be. But, and the other thing is you have to consider whether or not you want to be financially crippled in the long run or have a short-term discomfort to, you know, make those phone calls. Right. 
Right. So what you said a couple minutes ago is they really don't know you is it's kind of like they know you financially, but they don't know you personally. Personally, right. Right. I remember years ago when I worked for Bob Allen, what happened is he went on book tour. And when he went on book tour, he, like, forwarded all his emails to me. And so I figured I had to make my replies. And these were emails from, like, his students, you know. And right. as the program got bigger, the students didn't have the ability to email him. But in the earlier days, they did, you know. And I thought, well, if they're getting a reply from me rather than him, I have to make my reply so good that they don't mind that it didn't come from him, you right. know. <laughs> right? So they wouldn't be ticked off at me, right? So I remember I got an email from someone, and she's, like, pouring her heart out. And, you know, basically it was like her husband had been laid off for quite a while. She was a nurse. You know, she was working, but it, you know, wasn't nearly enough income for both of them. And they had like six kids. And she just found out that her husband hadn't opened the bills for the last three months, you know, right? Right. Anyway, so I thought, oh, Lordy, what do I say here, you know, right? Right? So I told her what you need to do is I I said you need to get everybody out of the house for a little while. And and her husband basically said, you deal with it. I can't handle it, you know, any of it, right? So I said you need to get everybody out of the house. And then I said you need to walk around the house and stomp and cry and, you know, throw the pillows around or something. And then you need to sit down and open, take a deep breath and open them all up and deal with it, you know. Right. So anyway, and she did. She did that, you know. So anyway, but um, she ended up managing to get a loan from a family member and getting things caught up. And then that. And then she told him she was in this Robert Allen real estate investing thing, and he ended up being her partner in that. And uh, she would, like, go prospecting for the properties, and then he would put up the down payments. And, you know, I mean, it ended up really working out for her. Thank God she had a family member that she could go to, you know. So, anyway. But um, can I put something in there about, you know, if if you get in a hole, you need to take a deep breath and suck it up and, you know, face reality. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You think that's okay? Okay. All right. All right, good. And then um, refrain from co-signing for the financially irresponsible. Boy, that's a good one. I want to hear what your your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I mean, people don't understand that co-signing, I think we we need to kind of define what co-signing is and that when you you co-sign for someone, you are basically telling the financial institution or the lender that if this person does not pay for whatever reason, that you will take on the responsibility of paying. Right, and you're on the you hook. If you don't pay, then this shows up on your uh, your your. This affects your reputation. Right. Right. So, so we, uh, did, did you ever have an experience? Of, I mean, I think a lot of people think all it means is they're signing and saying, yeah, this is a good person, you know, right? Yeah, I know this person, you know, something like that, rather than financially being on the hook for something. I'm sorry, one more time, Denise. 
Oh, I was just saying, I think a lot of people don't recognize, like you said, what they're doing when they co-sign. And they think they're just signing to say, yeah, this is a good person. You know, yeah, I, I think they're, you know, you know, yeah, I know them, you know, <laughs> right? But, right. Um, but did you ever get into a situation where you needed someone to co-sign for you or um, you co-signed for someone else and it went bad or you have a friend where they co-signed for someone? I mean, did you have you ever had personal experience or a friend who had an experience with it? So, so quote unquote, Kayla was in that situation. Who's that? Where Kayla, the my oh, yeah. friend Kayla. Uh oh. Okay. Yeah, yeah. She co-signed for a friend for a student loan. That student, that friend's student loan was not paid, and she was put on the hook for it. Um, she was doing it uh, again out of the kindness of her heart. She was, you know, and at that time she had credit credit worthiness. This is before her credit started going down the toilet. Wow! And do you know how much it's for? Um, I'm going to say it's uh, around fifty thousand dollars. Fifty thousand. Fifty thousand, yes. Is that in addition to the eighty she owes, or is that yep. part? Yeah, that's a that's a that's someone else's debt. Wow! So she's really got eighty plus thirty. You know. Yep. Wow! Oh my God! No wonder she's not like worried. I mean, I understand. It's just wow. Oh jeez, she needs to like start a part-time business or do something, you know? Yeah, yeah. Jeez. I remember when I first got out of college, I went to buy a car. And, you know, it's like I'm just out of college. I'm going to buy a new car. And, of course, you might recall from our conversation last week, the car I drove all the way through college, right before I got home from college, it went to the junkyard and I got 50 bucks for it, you know, right? So it's not like I could have kept driving, you know, the car I had in college. But at any rate, my um, it was a Pontiac, I think it was called a Sunbird. It was a little compact, kind of sporty looking. And the guy said to me, um, you know, yeah, we'd like to sell you this car. Have your dad co-sign it, you know. So I went to my dad and I said, Dad, I can get the car. I just need you to co-sign it, you know. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, let me explain to you what co-signing is, you know. And he explained it the way I did he goes, so here's the deal. He goes, it's illegal for them to ask you to have your dad co-sign it. He says, they're doing it because you're a woman, you're female. And he said, I want you to go in there and tell them um, you, wanna, you want them to put the loan through on your own. He goes, if they won't do it, he says, I'll co-sign for it. But he said, you know, try to do it without it first, you know. So I'm all nervous as heck because I'm non-confrontational or at least I was back in, you know, when I was 22 like that, right? And um, anyway, I went up there and I said, I want you to put the loan through without the cosign, you know. And they did. And it went through and, you know, and I got the car and drove it for five years or whatever, you know. So anyway, so sometimes people ask for, 
a cosign and they don't really need it, you know, the financial institution, they're just asking for it to, like, double up. Yeah, they want to guarantee they're going to get their money. (laughs) Right, right. But it's not always necessary. (laughs) Yeah, it's not always necessary. You want me to put anything in there about that, or do you think it's... uh, No, I like it. You like it? Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Good. And anything else um, about co-signing? And 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 let's say something about the financially irresponsible. Did Kayla know when she co-signed for that person out of the goodness of their heart that that person probably was kind of financially irresponsible anyway? Well, she knew that that person couldn't qualify by themselves. Um. So that that could be a, a, an alarm. Um, oh, it doesn't right. necessarily, yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean that it is an alarm, but it could be. And I think it's important to understand that, you know, if that happens, you probably want to do, you know, some some investigating to see if that person is or not. Um, and also, when you do know, I mean, people, there are people who are. I and there there were there's a time where you know I knew a certain individual that an individual came to me and asked me um um to co sign for them for him and you know I knew that he had a history of not paying um bills on time. He had some, some issues and I told him that I wasn't willing to, you know, risk that so in a um, way co-signing is almost not quite but almost like asking someone for money so let's have this conversation how do you say no graciously so if you don't want to lose the friendship you don't lose the friendship you, you know you just you what you can say is I would I would love to be more of a help to you in getting, you know, what you need done. Unfortunately, I'm not willing to do that um and put myself in an uncomfortable situation or my me and my family in an uncomfortable situation. So unfortunately at this time I'm gonna have to um decline. Decline or unfortunately i'm not i'm not willing to do that at this point and sometimes you're not able to right if you're not able that's the easier solution to say i'm not able to because um you know whatever restrictions but also being able to say to them um you know to that person i'm willing to help you explore other opportunities um, that you may be able to take advantage of. And I think always being able to, as a friend, being able to show that you're willing to contribute in other ways takes the sting away from, you know, the initial no. I mean, I I can, you know, maybe help you find another institution that may do some, you know, be able to be more flexible with lending or um, here's an extra, I know somebody who's got a, a position that they're trying to fill and maybe a, some part-time income will help you with that. Something like that, giving them all. Right. Of it. 
You know, another thought I had is don't they on some kinds of applications for credits or loans, don't they ask if you've co-signed anything? Yes. I believe they do. So um, I have a friend, and he said this happened to him where someone asked him to co-sign, and he's like, i got to get out of it because I know this guy is like, flaky with money, right? He goes, I like him. You know, he's a good friend, but he's flaky with money. So he said he told his friend, he said, look, I'm going to be applying for a loan, and I can't remember what kind of loan it was, you know, in the next few months. And he said, they're going to ask me if I have any co-signers. And he said, I'm afraid if I have a co-signer, I might risk not getting the loan. So for that reason, I'd really like to help you, but I can't do it. Yep. That's another way to handle it, you know. Absolutely. I mean, whether, whether you actually end up, you know, going for a loan in a couple months or not is, you know, really doesn't matter, but it's like one more way to get out of it because I think a lot of you people feel pressured. You know, they want to help a friend, but what they're asking is probably more than they even realize they're asking. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. Cool. And then um, our next um, chapter subheading on here is about keeping debt low. Keeping debt low. And mm-hmm. so let's talk about that. Okay. All right. So, so, um, hang on. Can you hang on one second for me? Okay. Um, so keeping keeping debt low and that this could serve in, you know, if you're trying if you're trying to get an asset that you feel that um is uh worth worthy of getting into debt. Um then you you know, this can go back into FICO score, credit score type of thing. Um, because you're you're less likely to get approved uh, if you have a low debt to income ratio, you're more likely to get approved for something that you feel is a significant investment that you want to. And that'll kind of okay. that keeps your um, that keeps your name again, your reputation. Right, right, right. So let's talk about some ways to keep debt low. Like in the last chapter, you know, one of the things that you said was that, you know, eating out is like a terrible debt, you know. And I agree with you because it's like you've totally forgotten what the food tastes like and then there's the bill a couple weeks later, you know, right? Right. You know, um, what are some other examples of debt 
that you you really want to try to avoid the most that you can? Um, like payday loans, obviously you don't want to be in that that situation. Consumer retail credit card debt is the worst because of the interest rates. Are you How talking about money? like a, a a Macy's card Macy's, or right, right? Okay, so they have they have higher interest rates. You're saying? Yeah. I paid mine off and got rid of it just to make life simpler. You know, <laughs> so and right. every time I go there, they go, "Would you like to you use your Macy's yeah, card they today?" Ask you you know? every time. Yeah, right, I mean, Target right. does it. Right, it makes you feel a little bit like, well, you're not in the club because you don't have a Macy's card, you know. Right. So anyway, I think one of the worst, most expensive debts is stuff that shows up monthly. Okay? Like um for example, I'm I I pay um and this is a, a really small bill, but I pay $35 a month to Constant Contact because I have an email, you know, um right. thing, right? Well, you could say, okay, that's a business thing. But the last time I sent out a newsletter because I'm so busy with clients right now was before we left on our trip. You know, um, you know. So, like the last couple of months, that thirty-five dollars is kind of going to nothing. You know, even though it's right. small money. But things that you pay monthly, like the most expensive, um, say, can you hear me? Okay. Right. Somebody's uh-huh. trying to call okay. me. Okay. Yeah, somebody's trying to call me, so it's blipping. Oh. Like, like you know, the premium channels on your cable thing, or. Pandora or um, a website that has a monthly fee for it or, you know, things of that nature where it seems like a small amount, like maybe it's only 20 bucks a month, but multiply that times a year, that's 240 bucks, right? You know, and um, whereas things that you purchase one time, and then you're going to have it for years and years and years. Like, let's say a good suit, for example, you know, right? As long as it fits in your budget is 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 better. But but stuff that shows up every month, it's almost like creeping debt. I don't know. How do you feel about that? Yeah, absolutely. It it, it, it accumulates over – it's a compound effect. It accumulates over time. And all of a sudden, you're like, where in the world did this come from? And then you find yourself having to make decisions of who you should pay. And, again, that begins to impact your reputation. And then you go to a bank or you go to another institution asking for a loan. They're like, wait, you, you have a, a bad history of having a lot of, a lot of um, debt. And, and it doesn't work in your favor. Right. Right. Yeah, so, you know, that was a lesson, you know, that I learned a long time ago. Like, I think I've told you on previous conversations, I do like designer purses, but I only buy, like, one a year, mm-hmm. you know. And and it's like, and then, you know, I keep it for maybe 10, 15 years, you know. So it's like, okay, that's a splurge that I can afford, whereas, like, right now this constant contact it's like all it's doing is costing me money. I'm not really getting any value out of it, you know. And and asking yourself, 
are you really getting value out of those premium channels you're paying an extra 50 bucks a month for? Or are you staying on top of cell phone rates to make sure you're getting the best deal? You know, like right. Ernie, Ernie and I, we've probably split our, in the last two, maybe two and a half years, we've probably split our cell phone bill in half, you know? Right. And we've been with Sprint for eight years. But every time I see a commercial about our new low-cost plan, it's like they don't automatically move you over to that. You know, you got to call them or stop in the store and ask about it and move yourself over to it, you know? Right. So, anyway. So, um, keeping debt low, you know, obviously means not spending it in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. When When it's really tempting you know, to buy this or buy the other thing. So, and we talked about this a little bit in in the previous chapter about buy seeds, not crops. But, you know, when people feel like, or your readers feel like, I got to have it, okay? You know, there's something that needs to click into place to tell them, no, you are a perfectly good person without this, you know? So talk a little bit about that. Um, I think what, um, let's see, if, if they feel like they've got to have it, then... The, we but, would, you know, that could be very emotional, Charles, you know? Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Um, uh, if they if they feel like they've got to have it, it goes kind of. I mean, I hate to be repetitive, but it goes back to what we talked about before. Is you have to take a step back and look. How does this actually impact my 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 financial well being? I mean, how does this align with my my wealth goals? Does does this align with with me having and accumulating? resources over time that are appreciating assets or something that's valuable to my family or just something that I want because it's just a personal um, personal consumer desire. Uh, and what impact does that have on, on, you know, my financial situation and really just being able to look at that. And if they have to right. go into debt for it, um, it's, it's probably if if you can't afford to buy it, then you probably can't afford to have it. If you if you have to borrow to get it, then it may not be affordable to you. Right. From a, you know, from a, a overall perspective, obviously, you know, we're talking about more of um, consumer-based type situations as opposed to, right. like, asset-based. I also think we, we we definitely live in an instant gratification world, you know, where mm-hmm. people have grown up on the idea of buy now, pay later, you know. Um, right. And then I tried to convey in the chapter of, and I know we got to wrap up in a couple minutes here, but I tried to convey in the chapter on um, um, seek wealth, not money, 
you know, how great it was for you when you didn't have to work for a couple of months when you came to Las Vegas. You know, it's like, you know, yeah, that might instantly feel good to buy whatever it is, but think how great it will feel to be able to take a two-week vacation six months from now because you you kept on track with your goals or something. You know, does that make sense? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. Any closing thoughts on um, keeping debts low and keeping your name in a good place? Um, realize, I think it's important to realize that your financial situation um, can is can be volatile, where you may or may not need help. So it's important, like with any other relationships, you don't want to burn the bridges that may be able to sustain you later. And with that being said, it's very pertinent and and advantageous to the reader for them to make sure that they keep in mind that um, their name means everything and, and how you deal with your finances definitely can impact your name. There you go. There you go. All righty. So thank you very much. Um, Let's schedule a time to talk next week. Okay. Okay. Um, How does Thursday look next week for you? Thursdays are typically challenging for me. Okay. Go ahead, Wozier. Oh. I was also going to say possibly um, Wednesday. Wednesdays are more open for me. Okay. So what if we met Wednesday at like in the morning, like say 9 or 9.30, or in the afternoon at say 4 o'clock? Wednesday at 9, 9.30, 4 o'clock. Okay, Wednesday at 4 probably would be good. Okay. All right. So I'm going to put that in there at 4 p.m. Okay, now, uh, before I let you go, you know I'm heading out of town on Friday the 7th, right? I did not know. Oh, I'm sorry. I apologize. Okay, so on Friday the 7th, Ernie and I were driving to Southern California. We're going to spend one night at his son's house. Um, They have a nice house in Rancho Cucamonga. And then um, from there, we're driving to Mexico, and we're going to go to Ensenada for a week. Oh, cool. Yeah, just to get out of the heat, you know. Yeah. And then on Saturday the 15th, which is Ernie's birthday, um, we're going to come back and spend the night in Rancho again. You know, kind of like splits the drive in half, you know. And okay. then on Sunday the 16th, we'll come home, you know. So it's like that's why I wanted to make sure, um, number one, I need to keep my meetings light on Friday because we'll be leaving, you right. know. But also wanted to make sure that we get a time in because the week of um, August the 10th, I'll be... Like, you know, I'm going to have my laptop with me and I'm going to do some work and some stuff. But on the other hand, my phone's not going to work down there. So, right. anyway. Right. 
Okay. So, all righty. So, um, I will get started on this chapter. It would be really, really cool if I can get it done by Wednesday. That's my intention. And okay. uh, But anyway, um, I will talk to you on Wednesday, the 5th of August. Sounds great. Okay. Okay, thanks, Denise. All right. I'm glad you liked the chapter. I made the changes, and I will shoot it out to you. Okay, sounds good. All right. You take care. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.